Well, take your Bibles with me again this morning and turn to Romans chapter 15. As you're doing that, I just I want to express to you my excitement over compassion for people. Uh, the things that are coming together, it's been difficult, it's taken longer than I presumed it would, uh, but as the pieces come together, uh, I am amazed at what the Lord is already doing through it. And we haven't even started officially yet, and yet the Lord is already accomplishing a lot. I've seen a tremendous uh, outpouring from many of you, and so I praise the Lord for that. Continue going, and we uh, will no doubt see the Lord's faithfulness as we are faithful to Him. So, Romans chapter 15, Paul is saying farewell. He has written an entire book of theology, of practicality, of application. And now the body of the letter is done. It's time to say goodbye. Nobody likes goodbyes especially someone that you are close to. You and I both remember as kids experiencing the long, drawn-out, sad goodbyes that followed a family reunion, right? Or maybe a Christmas break where families are leaving their, their distant relatives, or they're traveling back home, and you're saying goodbye, and as kids you're going, okay, goodbye. Why is it taking so long? Goodbye. Get in the car already. I'm still waving. Goodbye, you know. But when it, that was when the adults left. When the kids left, it was like, oh man, I won't see you forever. And you say goodbye and it, it's sorrow, it's grief. As kids, we understood goodbye meant that we would not see each other for a long while. Paul's goodbye is to Rome is unique because he's never been there. Never been to Rome. And yet, according to chapter 16, which we're going to look at next week, he knows a large number of them personally. And as he is saying goodbye, he is saying uh, to them, uh, continue on, keep the faith, keep pressing forward. Paul's heart is really revealed in the way that he says goodbye. His, his passion for the church is really revealed when he says goodbye. And we're going to catch a glimpse of his heart today. And instead of just recognizing that this is Paul's heart, I want us to catch the application from it. What about Paul's heart should be true of our own? What about Paul's goodbye? It should be true of the way we treat and respect and respond to each other. And what about Paul's purpose should become our own? Because what we see about Paul is something that is completely different from our culture. If I were to ask you, what is your occupation? You, Some of you would tell me farmer, handyman, teachers. I would say pastor, but Paul doesn't say tent maker. Paul was a tent maker. That's not what Paul says his passion is. That's not what Paul says his occupation is. That is a means to an end. And that is the heart that I want to challenge us with today. And as we do so, I want us to focus on this idea. As Paul says farewell to Rome, his testimony stands as an example of God's, that should be God's, abundant grace. As Paul says farewell to Rome, his testimony stands as an example of God's abundant grace. And as we begin to understand this, let's um, be mindful of this uh, true humility of God's servant. But let's not look at him necessarily. Let's recognize what it was that God did through him that caused him to be that way, that we may be that way as well. Let's go to our Lord in prayer as we begin this morning. Father, I praise you for the privilege that it is to uh, watch Paul say goodbye to Rome. Now, this is a unique and difficult passage to preach in some ways just because it is in uh, many different places, and, but yet we recognize that there are so many aspects about Paul's life that should be true of us, not because Paul lived them, but because 
This is what it means to be a true, humble servant of yours. And so as we move through this passage today, challenge our hearts that we would be willing to be changed by it, cause us to be humble, help us to recognize that anything that is not aligned to your will is that which is causing us to subject our will over yours, and that is sin. Help us to be obedient before you today. Help us to love you, to live that out in our lives and in our words and in our actions. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Romans chapter 15 is somewhat of a mixed bag because we have some last exhortation and then we have Paul's goodbye. We've moved through the exhortation and now we're in the goodbye. Paul says, this is why I've written to you so boldly, so passionately. I want you to understand these things. And yet Paul's farewell to Rome is unique in that he is not addressing a problem in Rome. As far as Paul is aware, there is no major controversy in Rome. Now, Corinth, yeah, he writes to Corinth, there are divisions among you, you immature, carnal Christians. Paul is very passionate about it. He's very clear about what the problem was. But in Ephesians and in Romans, Paul has nothing wrong with the church. And so Paul says goodbye, but in saying goodbye, he's spurring them on. Keep going. Keep living this out. And Paul doesn't know that in very soon he's going to be in Rome, but not as a preacher. Not free to roam the streets of Rome, if that makes sense. But rather, he would be locked up, house arrest, to be released, to be brought back to jail and killed for his faith. That's not going to take place very many years after this event. And yet, as Paul is saying goodbye to Rome, he is saying, someday I'm going to get there. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I'm going to get there. We're going to see that next week as he says goodbye, uh, part two, next week. But we begin the process of bringing our study of this book to a close. And this morning, Paul takes the opportunity to remind the believer of his distinct ministry. And that is our first point this, this morning. Paul has a very distinct ministry. You and I do not have that ministry. This is Paul's ministry. Your ministry is different than Paul's. It is similar in some ways, but it is wholly unique from Paul's. So we're going to see Paul's distinct ministry. As Paul reveals that to the Romans, he says, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And that moves into his motivation, Paul's clear motivation. Paul was moved because he knew what God's will was for him, and he faithfully and humbly obeyed it. One of the things we're going to see over some time in a message series I'm developing now is that when you know God's will and you subvert your own will over His, you are in sin. It's not That is Satan's sin. That's what Satan did. And so, as we're going to... That's later. That's another series I'm working on right now. But as we get to that point, we have to understand Paul understood God's will for his life. And he lived it out in very clear motivation. And we should as well. Your motivation is the same as Paul's, by the way. Your ministry is different than Paul's, but your motivation is the same. And God's calling is different on Paul, but motivation is the same. Then we're going to see Paul's passionate message. What was it that Paul preached? What was it that drove Paul literally to the ends of the earth? And I'm going to show you that in a moment. What was it? What did he share? Was there some secret formula to it? We're going to see that in just a moment. Let's begin in verses 14 through 16. Romans chapter 15, the scripture says this, uh, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, full of all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, 
so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. I'm going to stop there for just a moment as we begin to look at Paul's uh, distinct ministry. And in order to do that, we have to recognize, not that one. Hmm. It didn't update. The purpose of the instruction. We'll go there. (laughs) It didn't update on me. That's what you get when you live on the cloud. Don't live on the cloud. Stay off the cloud. It doesn't work for me today. <laughs> so, this is the second time it's messed up. So the purpose of the instruction, and we have to understand what, why he was writing to Rome. What was it that was motivating him to write to Rome? And we see this in his distinct ministry. The body of Romans, the book of Romans, has come to a close. And now Paul is telling the Romans, by the way, why did I write? What was it that motivated me to write? And he spends the remaining chapter and a half in farewell, saying goodbye. But in this little portion, in this little bit of Romans chapter 15, we're going to deal with an entire chapter and a quarter next week. But in this little piece in Romans chapter 15, Paul is telling them why. He's revealing something about himself and his ministry. And he starts by encouraging the believers in Rome. Notice verse 14. He says, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am fully convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. What an amazing statement. How many times has Paul written that to anybody? Rome. And Rome only. And he goes on and he says this, able, uh, or rather filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. Why was Paul able to write the letter he wrote to the Romans? Because they were able to handle it. Could he have written that to Corinth? No. Could he have written that even to the Philippian church or the church at Colossae or the the church in wherever, Ephesus? Not even to Ephesus. And Ephesus would have been the next runner-up. Paul could write the way he did because of what the Lord had done in the believers in Rome. And Paul hadn't even ever been there yet. Paul is acknowledging a great deal of maturity in the believers in Rome. Paul isn't writing to confront some problem in the church. And consider where we start out and where Paul started us out in the book of Romans. Go back to Romans chapter 1. Just for a moment. We're not going to spend much time here. This is just quick. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Now let's step back to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The reality is, we all started there. Verse 18. We all were there. And Paul is reminding the Roman church of where they were. And for Paul to say, in verse, in chapter 15, verse 14, that you are full of goodness means something drastic has taken place. Something, uh, completely divine has taken place. Well, Paul has spent 11 chapters telling them what it was. That was that they were moved from sinner to saint in justification. That they were then, uh, having been justified, they are now sanctified, both positionally right now in heaven for eternity, and also progressively. You are being in the process. You are, you're not as sanctified today as hopefully you will be tomorrow. 
You're growing in Christ. You're becoming more and more Christ-like. And then he goes on to glorification and the hope of the believer. And then he reminds them of the promises made to Israel, the security of our own faith. And Paul says to the Christian now in Rome, you are no longer subject to the wrath of God because you are full of all goodness. Prophet Isaiah said there is nothing good in us. All are filthy rags. Every work that we do is filthy rags until we come to know Christ as Savior. Something drastic has happened in the Romans. And Paul, by calling them brethren, he reveals that they are not only brethren, but they are mature. Paul points out three incredible qualities. They're full of goodness. Before Christ, they were full of violence. They're full of knowledge. Proverbs reveals that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Do you know why they had all knowledge? Because they had a proper understanding of who God is. They had a proper motivation of who God is, and that changed their life and it changed their heart. Proverbs chapter 9. They feared the Lord. And then they were able to admonish one another. Previously concerned only about self and their own desires, now they gently push each other to further godliness. They encourage each other. They recognize the difference between liberty and convictions as well as doctrine. And they recognize that we push each other in doctrine. We gently push each other to Christ in our doctrine, but we allow the convictions and the liberties because those are, are matters between us and the Lord. And so Paul has, has brought them to this point. But in verse 15, Paul says something amazing. Consider the church full of goodness. They were full of knowledge and able to admonish one another. And then Paul says this, But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again. Paul says, I know where you're at. But you must stay there. And in order for you to stay there, I've got to remind you of what it means to be there. The Christian needs constant remembrance of what it was that God did for them to put them in the position they are in. And Paul says, Christian in Rome, I praise God for your faith. It is mature faith. It is good faith. But keep going. Don't stop. Keep practicing the doctrine. Keep practicing the application. Keep practicing the practicality of that doctrine lived out in your life. Paul says, I'm writing very boldly to you. The Christian must continually be reminded of the grace that was given to them in salvation. Now, what a joyous thing. Let me ask you as a believer, if someone came up to you and said, I want to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with you, and they shared the true gospel of Jesus Christ with you, what does that do in your heart? You're like, oh, pff, I already know that. Get away from me. No, it shouldn't. If it does, you've got a spiritual problem. If It should say, you know what? I praise the Lord. I'm a believer too. Thank you for reminding me of my salvation. What a joyous thing for another believer to come up and tell a believer the gospel. And that's what Paul is saying. Remember the gospel. But then he goes on and continuing in verse 15, and he reveals something about his ministry because his ministry is by grace. What, what is distinct about Paul's ministry is his calling. What is not distinct about Paul's ministry is the grace by which he does it. And this word grace becomes so fundamentally important. For by grace you have been saved through faith, right? Does it faith that saves you? No, it's grace that saves you. Grace is the work. Grace is what is done for you. It is divine blessing. And Paul says this in verses 15 and 16, the last part of verse 15. He says, the grace, or rather because of the grace that was given me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God, 
so that my offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You see, Paul ministered because of or by grace. In other words, Paul couldn't do anything that he did except by God's grace. If you are going out and you're involved in compassion for people and you're knocking on doors, you're running people down Main Street, and don't do that. Uh, you're meeting people on Main Street, you're talking to them in Walmart, you're doing all of these things. If you're doing all of that and you're doing it in your own power, stop. Don't do it. You must do it by the grace of God. And that is what Paul is saying. Paul's letter to the Romans was in keeping with the ministry that was given to him by Christ. He wasn't doing something that was not his. He says, I was called an apostle by the grace of God. I was called to minister to the Gentiles. Remember Paul's heart when we were looking at Romans 9-11? through Paul's heart was that the Jew would come to know Christ as Savior. That's what his motivation was. That's what his desire was. And he goes, but you know what? I was given by grace the ministry to the Gentiles. Now, many of us would be like, I'm knocking on the door, it's just not opening, Lord. I'm trying, but none of the Jews are coming to Jesus. But God's commission to Paul was to turn and go to the Gentiles. If Paul would have knocked on the door of the Jews, do you think he would have had a successful ministry? No. You see, Paul was operating in grace. Paul's ministry, he reveals, was a result of God's grace. Paul understands who he is and who he was. Before grace, before Christ, he was a sinner, chief among sinners, he says. And Christ called an apostle and outfitted, outfitted to carry out the duties of an apostle. Notice what he says there, um, the grace that was given me from God. The word given means outfitted. If I want to go and go on a journey, I'm going to outfit myself, right? If I'm going to go on a hunting trip, I'm going to outfit. I'm going to put on the saddlebags, whatever I need, I'm going to outfit for that. Paul says, I was outfitted for the work of the ministry to the Gentiles. What an amazing statement. You know what, believer? You have been outfitted for some ministry. And it's probably to the Gentiles, but it may be to a different group of Gentiles. It may be to Goodland area. It may be to Levant area. It may be to St. Francis area. It is a ministry. You've been outfitted for that. And I don't know what it is. And it's been needs to be used in the church. And that's what Paul is doing. It is truly a blessing for the Christian to understand grace. You will stop knocking on doors that you should not be knocking on when you understand grace. Paul is operating under grace. We are saved because of grace, and we are equipped for ministry through grace. Grace is a major deal for the Christian. And it's not God's uh, blessings on us and... We put all flowers on it. No, Paul's ministry was anything but flowers. Read how he defines himself in 2 Corinthians. Paul's ministry was not flowers. Paul's ministry was rough. It was rugged. And he was outfitted to do it. And he was saved by the same grace. So Paul ministers, and his ministry is to stand approved. Now, I intentionally kind of misled you with this statement because you would assume that his ministry was approved. That's not what he says. Notice what he says in 16. He says, To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest uh, the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable. 
sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Who was acceptable? The Gentiles. Not Paul's ministry. That is what is unique about Paul's ministry. You don't have that ministry directly. You have one that is similar, but it is not this one. You see, Paul adopts the religious picture to illustrate his point. He was called to minister to the Gentiles. Using the gospel message, he presents the Gentiles as a priest presenting an offering to the Lord. Paul says, this is my offering. My offering is my ministry. And I'm offering it back to the Lord. And I'm offering that as as an offering to Him so that they may be acceptable. Paul's offering wasn't sheep. Paul's offering was the Gentiles. You know what, Christian? We're each called as priests. Did you know that? Your ministry should be offered back to the Lord, whatever it entails. That's why Paul doesn't say, I, Paul, a tent maker. He was a tent maker by trade. He survived. He put food on the table because he was a tent maker. But he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. Because in the end, that's what mattered when he stood as a priest and offered it back to the Lord. You see, the Gentiles who believe will stand approved because they are positively sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He says they are sanctified here, and I want us to understand the difference. Uh, Not positively, but positionally. They are positionally sanctified in the Holy Spirit. From the moment you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior, Christ's righteousness has been added to your account. You're not just saved from sin. Because if you were just saved, you'd be like Adam was before the fall. If you were just saved, there would be nothing changed in you necessarily. But not only are you just saved, you are positionally sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you are saved, you are pure, but you are more than pure because you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your account. So when the judge sees you, he sees Christ. And that work is done by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, by the way, you Gentiles, you Gentiles, are positionally sanctified when you come to know Christ as Savior. And that is why they're acceptable to God. And Paul says, that's my ministry. And I'm offering it to him. You know what's amazing to me? Paul never once calls it his ministry. He calls the ministry I did, but he never claims it because it's the Lord's. And we easily claim it. We, we, we want the praise. Does Paul ask for praise? No. He is very, very quick in giving the praise to the Lord. And that's what we get into in the next aspect. We have Paul's clear motivation. And we first see Christ's work in Paul. And Paul is very clear about this. Verse 17 says, Therefore in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. How many of us boast in things that have nothing to do with Christ? But then Paul says this, says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me. What an amazing statement. It says, in Christ I found all the reason in the world to boast. In fact, all the reason to boast and nothing else. I don't need anything else to boast from. And we're going to, let's break this apart a little bit. Uh, Paul had reason to boast uh, as we see Christ's work in him as the ministry that was before him was very successful. Gentiles had come to know Christ as their Savior. And it would have been tempting to accept the credit. Can you imagine if Paul would have said, And rightly so, many of you are children of mine in the faith. And I praise the Lord for for your coming to know Him. Now, 
Continue on. He could have said that, and rightly so. And that sounds spiritual, does it not? There are pastors who pastor churches in our country, in our state, even in our city today, who would claim that same thing. You're all my sheep. Praise God. But look at me first. And that's what happens. And that's why you have books flying off the shelves from these guys. They're taking the credit. But does Paul take the credit? Does Paul say, look at me, look at what I have done? He says, no, I have reason to boast because of what Christ did. And everything that we see about Paul's farewell to Rome points to Christ, points to Christ, points to Christ. How many of your ministries point to Christ? By the way, I'm going to go back to what I said before because this is just highlighting a a future sermon series. If your will is not to give glory to God, which we know God's will is, it is sin. And in ministry, you are sinning. You're claiming it for your own. But you're you're taking the accolades. They do not belong to you. It is by grace that you have been saved. You can't add to that. You can't add works to that. So why would you think that it is by grace that you've been outfitted for ministry that you can claim the glory from that? It can't happen. And Paul's not doing it. Paul is saying, I praise God because He outfitted me. Because I was chief among sinners. I was filth. I was scum. God picked me up from there and He used me for His glory. And I praise God for that. What an amazing statement from a humble servant of the Lord. It was Christ who had accomplished His work by using His servant. One of the the chief problems that a Christian faces is success. Success in ministry. Because uh, we see uh, what the Lord is doing and we are so quick to accept the credit. We praise God. You know, woohoo! Look at the ministry. I've, I've shared the gospel with 50 people this year. Woohoo! Or I'm leading this group and, and we're growing and everybody's all spiritual and, all, and whatnot. And uh, look at me. Look at what I've done. The greatest downfall to the Christian is success. Because we are so quick to accept the credit. But Paul understood what we must. We are merely the instrument that God is using to accomplish His will and His purposes. You are the tool that He is using. You know what? When I build something, I don't give credit to my hammer. Are you taking credit for something God is building? Because it would be like me saying, look at my hammer. (laughs) It's a good hammer. I like my hammer, but that's not the reason it got built. And so, and we, we think of ourselves higher than we are. We are to humbly submit to the Lord and joyously give Him praise when He works through us. If God chooses to work through you, praise the Lord that God is working through you. The Gentile now responds to this in verses 18 and 19. It says, For I will not presume to speak of anything except that what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about, as far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. We have the evidence of the effectiveness of God's grace to Paul, and I'm going to show it to you in just a moment. But Paul gives us two of them. One is the distance he traveled. The first one is the response of the Gentiles. 
Because I was called an apostle. I was outfitted to minister to the Gentiles. And now I'm presenting them as a priest back to the Lord. And as such, as such, they are responding in word and deed. They are obedient. They are following what they should follow. They were formerly pagan, running from God. And now they are obedient in word and deed. And Paul attributes this to the work of the Holy Spirit, changing, providing, and supplying the understanding that they needed through the signs and through the the wonders, the miracles to validate the message Paul was preaching. So does this still happen? The signs and the wonders, miracles? No. Do you know why? You've got it right here. You've got all the validation you need right here. And as we preach this message, guess what? You don't have to go out and try something new because you have the validation right here. How many churches are out there? How many pastors and and, uh, Bible study leaders and Awana leaders and Sunday school teachers are out there trying new things that have nothing to do with the Word of God? Well, many of us have, have talked about the rate in which the young people are leaving the church. Guess what? They don't work. You know why? Because we left our validation. We abandoned our validation. And the Holy Spirit is still validating the Scriptures. He is still convicting hearts. Scripture tells us that the Spirit of God is working in the hearts of men. So yes, in a sense, it does happen. We're not seeing the signs, the miracles, and the wonders, necessarily. But we are seeing the conviction of the Holy Spirit on the hearts of men. And guess what? When you're out sharing the Gospel and all of a sudden it clicks, you know when the Spirit got them. Have you ever been sharing the Gospel with somebody and they're like, they're, they're gone. You get the deer in the headlights look. And you're like, I'm looking right through your head. <laughs> and there's a window right there and I'm looking all the way through. And then all of a sudden, it clicks. There's fire in their eyes. They understand all of a sudden. And they come to know Christ as Savior. You know what? That's one of the most joyful times in evangelist's heart. Someone who's sharing the Gospel. When they start, they get it. That's not your will. That's not your accomplishment. That's the Holy Spirit's accomplishment. You're just the instrument He's using to do so. We have the completed Word of God, and therefore we have no need of the validation of the miracles and such because God has validated His Word. But the Spirit is still working to bring pagan to understanding and obedience. And Paul's ministry is an evidence of this as he explains his expansive ministry. The Lord used Paul even by the time of the book of Romans, was written in a mighty way. Consider this. See this map? And uh, to the right side of this map, as you're looking at it, is Israel. In the purple, right there on the Mediterranean Sea. Elycrium is clear up over there across from Italy, across the Caspian Sea from Italy. Paul says by the time he wrote the book of Romans that he has preached the gospel from there to Elycrium, from Jerusalem to Elycrium, 1,400 miles. Paul has preached the gospel. Paul had an expansive ministry, one that has been unseen since Paul's day. But what is amazing is we have no clear indication that Paul made it all the way up to Elycrium by the time he wrote Romans. But his preaching made it there. Paul would eventually get up that far, at least to the southern corner of that, and eventually into uh, Rome. But where did he want to go, do you know? He wanted to go to Spain. 
Paul, clear over there, clear off to the left. Paul wanted to go to Spain. He never, as far as we know, he never arrived there, but his preaching did. And so Paul's preaching was going out before him because Paul had been found faithful. But was that Paul's doing? No, there was no internet. <laughs> you know, I, I shared last week that our, our sermons from here are listened to by more people online than in this room. That's an amazing thing to me. That more people are listening to it on the internet than are listening to it in this room. But what's even more amazing than that is Paul didn't have the internet. And the gospel was going out before him. And Paul was coming in behind it. And he was providing the instruction necessary. And I praise the Lord for Paul's ministry because you and I are uh, fruits of that, by the way. If you're a Gentile and you know Christ, uh, you're a fruit of Paul's. But given Paul's description of the expanse of his ministry, the gospel went out from southern Jerusalem all the way into southern Europe. Yet as vast and as expanse as the reach of Paul's ministry was, he understood who had caused the great impact of the gospel. And he praises the Lord for it. We see this in detail when we consider the message that Paul didn't half commit to the message of the gospel. We're going to look at it in just a moment, but Paul didn't just half commit. He was Jesus died for you on the cross... Go, Jesus. No. Paul was all in. And when he shared the gospel, he said, you're a dirty, rotten sinner. And Christ did something about it. He died on the cross for you because of God's great love. And in dying on the cross for you, you must respond to that grace by faith. Respond to it in faith. And if you respond to it in faith, you can't add anything to it. You can't work your way there. It is by faith that you are saved. Because of the grace that was done. The work's done, you're just responding to it. Paul didn't back down. And they threw him in prison, and they threw him in prison, and they threw him in prison, and they stoned him, and they sent him to Rome and shipwrecked him. And Paul preached the gospel fully. He didn't just say, you're good people, because you're not. And Paul never said that. He said, let me tell you about the unknown God, the one who's going to demand the wrath. (laughs) That's not a very good message. Go down to Main Street and say, let me tell you about the God you're not following. You're going to receive the wrath of God. Uh, you'd be like, okay. <laughs> and they'd keep driving. That's the best that would happen to you. The question that I have as we get into, we see Paul's, Paul's ministry, Elycrium all the way down to Jerusalem, 1,400 miles by the time he wrote the book of Romans. My question to you is, are you sharing the half message? Paul didn't share a half message. The gospel went out from Jerusalem to Elycrium, not because Paul was the preacher, but because Paul was the preacher who preached the full gospel. What is the full gospel? Let's get into that. Let's get into the message. What is the content of it? Look at verse 20. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another's foundation, another man's foundation. We're going to stop there for just a minute. What is the context, content of the message? He says it is the gospel. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? If someone were to ask you, can you share the gospel with me, which they won't, by the way. If you're waiting for someone to say, would you share the gospel with me? I have never, in all my years of ministry, never had someone come up to me and say, you know what, really need to know what the gospel is. Would you share that with me? Never had anybody do that. I have had many uh, run from it, and... I try to pull them back into it. 
And I have had many that I've shared the half gospel with, unfortunately. But I've had many that I've shared the full gospel with. Paul shares the full gospel. What is it? He defines it in Romans chapter 10. Go back quickly to Romans 10. Romans 10, 8 and 9. says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That is the gospel. Now you have to add to that because our culture and Paul's culture didn't understand that. Remember, Paul's writing to believers who have understood that already. So, as we get to the heart of it, and Paul defines this and he expands on this, he says there are two aspects. One, you must confess Jesus is Lord. By the way, you can identify every single cult in our country by understanding their view of Jesus. If they say that Jesus is a Lord, cult. If they believe that He became a Lord, cult. Unless they believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord. They are not following the true Jesus. But by the way, the demons even believe that. They believe Jesus is Lord. They think they want to be Lord. That's Satan's sin. We'll get to there later. They want to be like him. So they think they can ascribe to that high. But they agree that he is Lord. What about Jesus raising, having been raised from the dead? You see, when you explain that part, you have to explain why he was there. Why was he there? And unless you can explain why he was there, you have not shared the full gospel. Because we like to start with Jesus, right? Jesus died for you, for your sins. Let's not talk about sin. And Jesus died for you so that you can spend eternity with him in heaven. You know what? Unless you deal with the issue of sin, you have not shared the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You know, it was because of sin, and it was because Jesus came to do something about it that he was hung on the cross. It was because of this issue of sin and Jesus dying on the cross and rising again that Paul was martyred for the faith. It was for this very same reason that Peter was crucified upside down for his faith. You know what? You and I must share the full gospel of Jesus Christ. If we want to see the power of God move through compassion for people, you will never stop short of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. You will share it all. You may be cut off and you may not be able to finish it, but when you get the opportunity, you finish it with them. You deal with sin. You know what? I had a young man back here in the youth room a couple years ago who came in and we debated everything from evolution uh, to salvation and everything in between. And he got in the car with Carly that night and he said, you know what? I was okay with everything he said until he brought up the issue of sin. Why did he have to talk about sin? Why did he have to talk about hell and sin? You know why? Because if I didn't, my job's not done. And the power of the gospel has not clearly been given. Paul's message was clear. Throughout Paul's letter, salvation is by grace through faith. God did the work that we could not do and would not do. And we are to respond in faith. You see, if you add works to it, you've missed it too. You have to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is not works, and it is not sinless. (laughs) You are a sinner. And because of that, something had to take place for you. And because of that, you can respond in faith, because God demonstrated His grace, and that grace is sufficient 
for salvation. Abundantly so. And Paul lives his life in light of that grace. So what about Paul's heart? Let's get there quickly. We're running out of time. Verse 21 says, But as it is written, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. What is Paul's heart? You know what? I've got a son whose name is Caleb. Because when I was studying through the book of Joshua, I came to the part where Caleb says, You know what? I want the land where the giants are. I want the hardest place to go to because I know God is faithful. And so Caleb got his name from Caleb in the Bible because of that sermon series. When I look at Paul, Paul says, I want to go where no one has heard. Where no one knows. Where no one understands who God is. And did he do it? (laughs) Yeah, Athens. Mars Hill. Remember that conversation in Acts? He's standing on Mars Hill and says, let me tell you of the, the... Temple that you have, let me tell you about this unknown God. Did they like that message? No, they practically rode him out of Athens on a rail. Very few responded to it. But Paul said, I want to go there where no one's heard. You have the opportunity, in many respects, to go where they've only heard just a little bit. I was sharing earlier this week that when I first came to Goodland, uh, I didn't anticipate that this would be as spiritually dead a place as I have ever ministered in. And it is still that way. I have ministered in Kansas City. I have been in Colorado. And here is as spiritually dead a place as I have ever been. Now, I'm not including Brazil and Mexico, where I've also been. Those are spiritually dead places as well. But as we, as we consider that, You and I have a responsibility and an obligation to make sure they hear. To make sure that the spiritual dead hear hear the gospel message and might come to know Christ as Savior. Paul says, that's a ministry I want. We are called to a ministry that is not so different from Paul's. Very similar. Paul took the gospel to the unknown, to places not yet reached. His heart was to be found faithful in responding to the grace given to him by the Lord. And he was found faithful. Paul's testimony is a clear picture of God's abounding grace. So what's stopping you from ministry? Well, it's tough. Yeah, it is. You know what? It's tough. But I'm not doing it because it's easy. You shouldn't be doing it because it's easy. You should be doing it because God's abounding grace is sufficient for that work. You know what? Life is a lot harder when you live it outside the grace of God than when you live it inside the grace of God. Paul says, I lived it inside the grace of God and I got stoned. (laughs) I got shipwrecked. I got jailed and eventually martyred. And life for him was fulfilled because he was in the grace of God. You can respond as Paul did in humble submission to the will of God or You have the choice to respond in service to yourself. Earthly, Paul suffered. Eternally, whole other story. I can't wait to get to heaven and see Paul. Talk with Paul, walk with Paul, and see the rewards he received because of his abounding faithfulness to God's abounding.
you and I have an opportunity with compassion for people. And it's not that much different than Paul's opportunity. Same people group, Gentiles. Different culture, <laughs> spiritually dead, all the same. Let's be found faithful and abounding, and abounding, or living in God's abounding grace. We're going to close in a word of prayer, and then we have an opportunity to remember what it was that Jesus did. You know, one of the reasons that I celebrate the Lord's table the way I do is because we need to be reminded of the salvation that was offered to you and I. And that's what this table represents for us. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the privilege that it is to consider Paul's message, to consider Paul's ministry, to consider what you did through him. Lord, I praise you because we are not that much different. We are, we're not outfitted to be an apostle, but we are outfitted to reach the community in which we live. I pray that you would cause this to be made real in our lives. And I pray that we would develop the attitude of Paul uh, not overnight, but that it would be something that is growing in us, that we, uh, we identify ourselves as ministers of the gospel rather than a tent maker, rather than a, a pastor, rather than a farmer or um, a teacher. We are ministers of the gospel. Lord, I praise you for the incredible privilege that we have to be found as servants of yours. Lord, it is a humbling experience, and I pray that you would cause each of us to be humbled this week as we participate in trying to live in the grace that is abounding to us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all of these things. In your son's name we pray. Amen.